You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. Metatron acts as the voice of God. Any documented occasion when some Yahoo claims that God has spoken to them, they're speaking to me. Or they're talking to themselves. Why doesn't God speak for himself? Glad you decided to join the conversation. To answer that, human beings have neither the oral nor the psychological capacity to withstand the awesome power of God's true voice. Were you to hear it, your mind would cave in and your heart would explode within your chest. We went through five atoms before we figured that one out. There's always more to tell Especially when the video sales are doing really well From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6 This is Sequel Cast And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end This is Sequel Cast And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a show where we look at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. We're in the middle of uh, looking at the Kevin Smith View Universe films, meaning films uh, written and directed by Kevin Smith that feature the characters of Jay and Silent Bob. I'm your host, Matt. With me is Thrasher. Hello, everybody. And, yeah, Dogman. So this is the fourth out of a total of, what, six uh, Viewisk Universe films we're talking about. <laughs> and uh, the reason why Viewisk Universe, you might be hearing this going, hey, are, are those really sequels? But uh, we did a poll over on uh, SequelCast.com and uh, our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash SequelCast. And uh, this is what listeners wanted us to cover the most. It uh, beat out by a wide margin. And, and number two was the Fast and the Furious movies. I'll let you know. So... That's always pretty interesting. I think I'll do a poll sometime later on. It's kind of fun to have someone else pick what we're going to do. Keeps us on our toes. Uh, have, have the listeners. Yeah, keeps us on our toes, exactly. Tippy toes, as they say. Uh, Which is a terrible way to walk, by the way. I don't know why that's a good, why that's something that people like. You know, as as a kid, I, I would walk that way, and I'm not sure why. I, I, it made me develop uh, enormous calf muscles. But, um, yeah, but I've, I've seen you kick. You've knocked down barn doors. I have, yeah. I've knocked down the barn door and the cow inside. One <laughs> kick. What were you doing to that cow before the kicking started? Uh, that's a that's a legal issue. I, I, I refuse to comment on it. Understood. There, there was a settlement uh, between the cow and myself. I'm not saying who won. <laughs> um, anyway, if you haven't tuned out by now uh, <laughs> on the sequel cast... Uh, oh, we'll give you plenty of opportunities and just cause to tune out uh, later. Right. We'll talk about some of our sponsors really quick. You go to SequelCast.com, and uh, you'll see we're an Amazon affiliate on the left side of the page. It says buy a movie and link some things. And so next time you do your shopping on Amazon, if you just click one of those things there and do your shopping, we get a little uh, kickback from Amazon, a little cut. And every little bit helps goes to fund the show because podcasting isn't free, folks. It's a... Uh, not terribly expensive, but... The, the sequel cast likes to wet its beak a little, eh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, also, if you, you go in there, you can... There's Google ads, which are pretty cool. Uh, little text ads on the side. And uh, you can listen to sequel casts uh, on Stitcher. And if you download the app for your computer or smartphone at stitcher.com slash sequel cast, you can listen to podcast streaming on the go. And... Uh, it's great. I listen to sequel cast sometimes that way at work when I don't want to lug my iPod touch around to listen to music on. But when you do like um, to hear your own voice. Yeah, when I do like to hear my own voice as I'm uh, masturbating while I'm at work. No, while driving. Really not true. <laughs> while, while driving. Masturbating while driving to work. Keeps you awake. There gets, you go. Gets the morning started right. Better than coffee. But, you know, yeah, but uh, I mean, one thing that some people might think is better than coffee is this film Dogma by Kevin Smith. <laughs> uh so, transition. you know, this came out, yeah, transition, this came out in 99, so two years after chasing Amy, and uh, Dogma, right off the bat, you can 
we can say it's uh, written and directed by Kevin Smith, produced by Scott Mosier. Uh, this has a much uh, bigger caliber cast than any of Kevin Smith's movies uh, up to this point. And some some might say, period. It's one of you know his bigger name cast in there. It's good. Well, it's not just that it's a bigger name cast. It's an amazing cast. Like, oh, I sure. Love, and we'll I love that, that. that, uh, that uh, Lady Everlyn from from uh, uh, Mitchell Rogers' Neighborhood is in the beginning of this movie. Yeah. I mean, you got, uh, you know, some small parts are sort of cameos, like Janine Garofalo has a small bit in the beginning, and you have cameos from uh, the two leads from Clerks, Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson. And, indeed, you have, uh, you know, others in there like Selma Hayek, Chris Rock, Alan Rickman, and and then some uh, Kevin Smith standbys like Jason Lee, uh, of course, Kevin Smith and Jay Muse. And uh, even some actresses you don't see too much, uh, like Linda Ferentino, who was also, and she was in Men in Black, which I didn't realize until I watched this film. Well, it's a completely different character. Oh, it is. And um, we'll talk about a bit of trivia about her later on, because apparently she did not get along with uh, Kevin Smith that well on the set. Mm. And he said, in retrospect, he wished he would have casted Janine Graffalo in her part. Yeah, it does seem like a real meaty Janine Garofalo role. Although, that being said, I'm very satisfied with the casting. I think she did a fantastic job. Well, let's uh, talk about... uh, When did you first see Dogma? Because you said uh, this is like your favorite Kevin Smith film. Yeah, it's my favorite Kevin Smith film. It's the first one. It's the first one I saw. I saw it in the theaters. Uh, I avoided... uh, I I avoided a a family outing to a play to see this movie with my friend Justin Schaefer. It was was more my idea than his, but to be fair, I had planned to see this movie long before my family had decided to go to this play. Um... Nothing against the lively arts. It was just, you know, I was, I was in that point in my life where I'm really trying to forge an identity outside of my family, and damn it, I was going to see this movie. But yeah, by the time this movie came out, you know, I really liked Kevin Smith. I had seen him on a bunch of talk show appearances. I, I loved that it was a guy who made comic books and movies. Uh, also, by this point, uh, Jay and Silent Bob had really become pop culture icons. They were appearing in other things. They did a series of promos for uh, for MTV the the my favorite being the weird puppets and shit promo <laughs> to advertise uh, liquid television and things like that um so yeah i i was really looking forward to it and i and uh i love the movie from beginning to end when it should be mentioned you look at the uh, as far as domestic box office gross uh, meaning uh, the united states box office gross for kevin smith's film and uh, you know chasing amy made about 12 million dogma made about 30 million uh, 30.6 million which made uh, Dogma Kevin Smith's highest theatrical film to that point. And it was Kevin Smith's highest theatrical film for almost a decade until uh, Zack and Miri Make a Porno came out and made about a million bucks more in uh, 2008. So, uh, do you want to know what Kevin Smith's highest grossing film period is? You know, I am curious, yes. Uh, Cop Out. It was the one thing he's directed. Yeah, it's the one film he's directed where he did not write the script. And it stars uh, Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan. And uh, Tracy Morgan and uh, Sean William Scott are quite funny in that movie, but um, Bruce Willis is is bad. And there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stories in uh, Kevin Smith's new memoir called Tough Shit, um, where he just talks about Ben Affleck just didn't even bring his A-game. He didn't bring any game... Or not Ben Affleck, I'm sorry. Bruce Willis didn't bring any game at all to the set of that film. So, but we're not talking about Cop Out, which uh, we're talking about Dogma here. And for me, I saw it, this was the first Kevin Smith film I saw in a theater. Mm-hmm. I saw it like at a at a midnight showing on opening weekend. And uh, it was just really excited, you know. Uh, even from the beginning, you uh, before the movie begins, you sort of see text on screen saying, you know, please don't get offended from this movie because this was getting a lot of... Uh, criticism and protest from the religious right at the time saying it was blasphemous. I mean, one of the posters said, get touched by an angel. Well, I think, I think that was kind <laughs> of, uh, kind of overstated. I mean, I don't recall the film getting all that, uh, that much backlash. It, it got some and it was enough where they, you know, they probably used some of it to help with the publicity because it's, even if people were trashing the film, it's a lot of people talking about it. And uh, I'll never forget, I worked at a Blockbuster video for several years. And one of my co-workers said, oh, Dogma, I really like that movie. 
And I said, why? And she said, because it reminds me of Spaceballs. <laughs> Do you have any idea what she means? No, oh, I was yeah. about to say, did she articulate that? <laughs> no, she didn't. And I'm like, really? I mean, and she's like, cause, yes. Because I guess it could, because the human mind is a mysterious, fascinating, and fickle organ. So I guess it's entirely possible it reminded her of Spaceballs in some way, but I frankly don't know. When I saw this with my friends, one of my friends was, uh, he kind of kept it a secret from uh, me for some reason, but he was really, really, uh, really, really Christian, really, really religious, going to church every week and everything and read the Bible several times. And so he could pick up every single biblical reference and dogma, of which there is a lot. So like when they talked about Golgotha and the shit demon and all that stuff, like he knew exactly what Golgotha was a reference to before the characters explain it. Pretty cool. He, he, I, I like that yeah. the, I like that the film it's not just it's not just using uh, uh aspects of Christianity as just kind of a backdrop. I like that it really does dig deep to pull some to pull from like using it like real source material. And also it, it certainly has the most uh most plot of any Kevin Smith film we've covered uh to date on our look at the VS universe on the sequel cast. It's pretty involved. It's pretty involved and you know, it kind of uses a, a Joseph Campbell sort of mythic structure where uh, the the heroine is offered lit- literally offered a quest, and uh, she rejects the call, and uh, so then she's transported to a a bar down the street. Well, it's all Joseph tequila. Campbell, you know the 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 first call yes. to 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 heroism, the hero has to turn down. Right, and it. Um, but I mean, so let's start by talking a little bit about the the cast in this. Oh yeah. Um, as the two. Well, we'll talk about the villains first. The, the two main ones are Ben Affleck as Bartleby and Matt Damon as Loki. Well, you know, I'm not even willing to call them villains. They're very sympathetic characters, and what they're doing, the, the consequences of what they want to do are are terrible. But it's not like it. But you know, it's not like they they you know they're 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 two people going after going after what they want going after something which was which was denied them yeah and it, interestingly matt damon as a loki a former angel of death he's kind of the mischievous one of the group sort of the more of a force of chaos he just likes to uh screw things up uh and, and murder people whenever but, but he always has a point behind it but uh and, and you just see matt damon he was so young when they did this film like he had a bit of the baby face still, and so it's yeah. just uh, kind of a kick to see him. Uh, I guess more of a traditional villain sort of character is Jason Lee as Azrael, and he has a very subtle performance. He, you know, he's clean shaven, unlike in the other Kevin Smith films. <laughs> he has these little horns coming out of his head, and uh, you know, he's threatening, but he's not physically imposing aside from being tall, and he dresses like in a white suit. Well, he kind has this like sleazy agent thing about him yes he does definitely it's uh and so yeah linda Florentino is the lead bethany sloan who uh, works at an abortion clinic and most of the movie follows her as she's given a quest by metatron uh the voice of god uh, played by Alan Rickman. And this movie was part of the, the great Rickman resurgence of the late 90s, which I think began with Galaxy Quest. Uh, you're right, yes. Yeah. G- Galaxy Quest. They should have done a sequel to that. It was Rickmania. Great film. Actually, I believe... I, I'm sure there... I believe... I remember rumors that there was a sequel in the works, and if I remember correctly... The, the 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 premise for the sequel was that some evil aliens thought that the TV show was a documentary, so they come to blow up Earth before heroes from Earth can take down their empire, and so the heroes from Earth have to get off the planet and have to get the octopus alien superior technology to help them fight off the evil alien empire. Hmm. And now, uh, if that's really what was in the works, that would have been pretty damn cool. But I, I have that again. That was a rumor. I do know the director of Galaxy Quest is uh, in development to uh, try and get Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure 3 produced. Oh, yeah. Um, and they have a completed script from the original writers, and uh, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, uh, Bill and Ted, are committed to, to do it, but they just got to get financing for it. But That's I hope that gets the off the ground. the greatest film of this decade. I hope, I hope so. I really hope that gets off the ground. I've been a sucker for those characters. 
And uh, although Dogma, you know, does not have any time travel or anything, it uh, <laughs> it does have the, the Kevin Smith trademark of dense dialogue. You have a lot going on here. Not only that, you have a lot of uh, biblical references. I found Selma Hayek very difficult to understand because at the time her accent, she always has had a very thick English accent. But especially at the time of this movie. English accent? Um, Spanish accent. When she speaks English, she has an accent. Uh, perhaps I'm saying this wrong, or am I being insensitive? No, I don't. I don't think you're being insensitive. I guess it's just like I I didn't have any trouble following following her dialogue, but at the same time, I love accents. I yeah. just I I love interesting ways of speaking. I love accents. I love linguistic f- flourishes. So it's I it, it's probably just me, but like I've really when, when a character starts speaking in an accent, I just want to get lost in it. But as a result, mm. I end up paying a lot more metic- meticulous attention to it. So that's probably why I wasn't having any difficulty. So you have this storyline with uh, Linda Florentino playing Bethany, and you know she doesn't. She used to believe in God. She doesn't believe in God anymore. Well, she's she's having and... a crisis of faith. She's having a crisis of faith. At, at the other, at the same time, you're having the few different ongoing plots. You have an ongoing plot of uh, Ezreal, and he has his three uh, Stygian triplets, the uh, hockey-wielding teenagers that are going around murdering people, and they're sent to assassinate uh, Bethany. Well, that's the, the film's opener. After after we get the uh, the definition of dogma and the definition of platypus uh, and the the whole like kind of mini disclaimer. Uh, we see a nice old man on a on a boardwalk in New Jersey get beaten to death, or at least near to death, by these kids with hockey sticks who jump through a portal with their hockey sticks cut in the fabric of the universe, which is a scene that comes out of nowhere and you don't think goes anywhere, but thankfully it lays some pipe. That does. It's not just to show that these kids are evil. It it does pay off in a big way. Hmm. I do think in this film that you really have to watch it more than once to try and understand everything that's happening. Because as you said before, Thrasher, it's very dense. Well, and there's the... a lot of characters. Oh, and uh... Oh, no, that's it. Just there's a lot of characters, a lot of dialogue. Well, if I can can jump ahead, actually, because this this yeah. is, I, I I love this movie, but um, when the DVD uh, came out, some friends uh, you know some friends of mine we we watched the DVD and we watched uh, all the deleted scenes with introductions by Kevin Smith, and just the deleted scenes, even without the introductions, were came close to to an hour long, and some of these scenes wow. would have made for a very different movie, and in many, there, there are scenes where I do not understand why they were cut. Um, well, already the movie runs a, a 128 minutes, so a hair over two hours, which is really long for a action comedy. But there's, you know, those typically run 90 minutes. But there's like, there's like some, just some really, there's just some really big scenes and, and sort of important information that 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 in many ways I, I, I think it, it, it hurts the movie that it's missing there's there's a scene uh, there's a scene where it's explained uh, uh, where Linda Florentino explains why she works at the clinic and, and, and is more specific about what she does there and about her her character's history there's there's an origin story for the the kids with the hockey sticks which I, I, I'll admit you don't necessarily need that origin story but I like having it. They make a lot more sense. They're not just they're not just evil henchmen. They themselves become full characters because of that origin story. And in in, in many ways I want to I want to I want I kind of want to go back and recut this film to put some of that stuff back in it. I'm sure there's some fan edits out there of Dogma that do that. Uh but Kevin Smith's, you know, special edition DVDs and Blu-rays have always been some of the best on the market. He's always had really funny commentaries, often multiple ones. You'll have, like, one of the actors and one technical commentary with, like, him and the producer. He has a lot of deleted scenes, a lot of documentaries. Uh, I mean, he he certainly knows how to give value with that format. And uh, the, at, for the DVD you're thinking about of Dogma, that was a special edition the packaging uh, was made to look like a Bible, a leather-bound Bible for the box, which is pretty cool. Uh, Chris Rock, I think, is really funny in this. Oh, no, he's great. 
as Rufus the Thirteenth Apostle, and George Carlin at the beginning is also great. Oh no, he's awesome as the as the Archbishop. Yeah. Now, what do you think? We've talked about you know the role of James Silent Bob in these different films. Do you think they feel forced in Dogma? Do you think they feel I, out of place, like you did in Chasing Amy? I don't think they feel forced. I they're they they're people that don't know. They're they're two people who don't know they're on a holy mission. It's sort of like. It's it's kind of it's like the way Terry Pratchett explains destiny. There's a hole in the universe, and someone's going to fill it, and it just so happens to be these guys. This holy quest requires prophets, so they get pulled into the role of prophets, whether they want it or not. Right, and uh... and I love I love their I love uh, Jay's uh, rant on John Hughes movies. That was great. That's pretty good. I mean, the whole joke. And there's a, a comic book that I happened to run across a few days ago, but I did not pick it up, and I think I should have, called Chasing Dogma. It takes place in between Chasing Amy and Dogma that explains what Jay and Silent Bob were doing at that time. And some of that comic book is uh, redone almost scene for scene in the movie Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. The whole bit with the, the orangutan and the nigget or the monkey or whatever oh. in that film is taken from that comic book. Um But yeah, I mean, there's so much thought out about the universe in this film, and that angels, you know, don't have genitals; they just have this weird kind of well, they're they're as doll thing. As know. Stanley Tweedle says, they're smooth around the bend. Yes, smooth around the bend, indeed. And just Alan Rickman's voice—you talk about accents—and I agree. But Alan Rickman, in particular, has just an un- unforgettable nasally. Bizarre-sounding voice. Well, he makes a great voice of God, but I also like that he's so put upon. Yeah. Metatron acts as the voice of God. Any documented occasion when some Yahoo claims God has spoken to him, they're speaking to me, or they're talking to themselves. Okay, that did not sound like Alan Rickman. I apologize, listeners. The the human mind is not capable of withstanding the sheer force, awe, and power that is the true voice of God. Your head would explode. We went through five atoms before we figured that out. I'm as anatomically impaired as a Kendall. Yeah, but uh, anyway. Since that it's... day, we angels have been forbidden from drink, from imbibing alcohol, hence all the spitting. I love that touch. I love that angels, by decree of God, <laughs> angels can't drink. So instead, they just put the alcohol in their mouth, taste it, and then spit it out. Spit it out. I, that was yeah. such a great touch. Oh, and that, you know... Uh, we talked about, you know, the Joseph Campbell mythic structure, the refusal of the call, where uh, Bethany, you know, refuses to, to undergo this quest assigned to her by God through the voice of Metatron. He snaps his fingers, and uh, they're in a, a cantina, and she thinks, oh, are we in Mexico? And he's like, no, we're at this Mexican place just around the block from your apartment, but they have really good tequila. <laughs> and like, even things like that, I just think are really funny. Well, you know, uh, really, it, it is teleportation. Does it really matter how far you go? <laughs> no, but that it fakes you out with that. And uh, I mean, I, I think in some ways it makes Dogma a very accessible Kevin Smith film, perhaps more so than the others, because it, it talks about um, religion, specifically Christianity, in a very funny way. And you don't see, like, I, I, I don't know if I'd go dogma like a like a christian movie or a religious movie but it kind of is in a way but it's also like really like foul-mouthed and stuff it's not self-serious or important well religious doesn't have to mean for lack of a better term namby-pamby it doesn't mean right right cuddly i mean that's one of the rather nice things about this film that they do keep they do like they do make reference to the difference between uh new testament and old testament you know like uh and in fact, that that's what leads to uh, Loki and Bartleby being cast out out of heaven is that after slaying all the firstborn in Egypt as as the plague, uh, as part of the plague, they, he then starts to wonder, well, is it really right to kill in the name of God? And that leads to you know a big old argument. But of course, then later God has a kid, Jesus Christ, and having a kid changes you, mellows you out. Yeah, indeed. Um, you also get the whole scene and stuff about movies which is a movie is a like mcdonald's like chain that has restaurants and videotapes cartoons and movies and all <laughs> their, these things their mascot is movie the golden calf movie the golden calf that's right. pretty on the nose <laughs> it is and in fact uh i don't have you seen clerks 2 yet 
Uh, not yet, but I know that, that there's scenes taking place in that fast food franchise. Most of Clerks 2 is set at a movie's restaurant, ah. which looks a lot like the restaurant from this film. It probably uh, which is. Which is pretty funny. Yeah, I, it, well, yeah, I think for Clerks 2, they filmed it like in a burger cane that went out of business or something and just redressed it. But yeah, so I mean, that's a real funny touch. And uh, uh, even though the budget of this film was big for a Kevin Smith film, it was $10 million, which uh, even in 90, 1999, you know, wasn't a, a huge budget. And uh, because of that, you know, um, there are some scenes where you think they're meant to be big action she- action scenes, like where they fight against the, the shit demon of Golgotha, and yet all the action happens off camera, and you just kind of see the characters' reactions and the aftermath. Which, which in all honesty, is probably the the best way to do it. Like, I don't, I really don't want to see anybody fighting a monster made out of feces. That was just, like, would be too unsettling, too disgusting. Oh, he looks gross. Yeah, no, he looks disgusting anyway. Well, I mean, he looks like it's, a, 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 a diarrhea golem. Like watery diarrhea with all these, like, chunks and nuts and corn in there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so... It, but it's really well done, whether, I think, whether it's part CG and part prosthetic, I'm not sure. But it's, uh... Although I do, I do like... Uh, have you ever read, um... I believe it's, uh... Oh hell! It's uh the 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 comic book. Uh, I believe it's called Wanted. There was a, a movie very very loosely based on it with uh, Morgan Freeman. No. Well, there is. Um, I hope I'm getting the title right, and I'm sure I'm sure the internet will correct me if I'm wrong. But the the, the short of it is is it's a comic book about a world that's secretly ruled by supervillains, and one of the supervillains is, uh, if I remember correctly, is just called Shithead, and it's a monster made out of the feces of the world's most evil people: Hitler's diarrhea, Stalin's constipation, uh, and. One of the characters is this is the is the son of this supervillain assassin whose superpower is he instinctively knows the best way to kill you, and when uh, the shithead tries to uh, tries to attack the kid, the kid defeats shithead by throwing disinfectant bleach on him, and that's pretty much the way the 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 Golgothan gets defeated. He gets sprayed with uh gets sprayed with disinfectant odor killer. Yeah, that's much different than. The film Wanted had Angelina Jolie in it, right? Uh, if I remember correctly, yes. The, the film... Yeah, and she she trains the kid to use guns, and there's something about his father, and a lot of Matrix-y spinning around the person shots. Yeah, the... the uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the movie... The movie has nothing to do with the, the, the comic. Uh, Except it's for the name, two two yeah. vastly different things, and it really mm. is a shame. I mean, it was like with, with superhero movies being as big as they are, it kind of shocks me that all the superpowers stuff was was taken out. Yeah, I mean, I think one sort of uh, we'll get to dogma in a second again. <laughs> we'll I, get I to dogma listeners. on this dogma episode. We'll, get, we'll get to dogma in this dogma episode in a dog dogma damned second. Uh, I was going to say, out of, like, you know, recent sort of, like, smart-ass, self-aware superhero movies, I actually think the the movie Kick-Ass was more effective than Watchmen. Mm. And I even liked Kick-Ass a good sight better than Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um, No, I... Which was a very manic film. uh, Kick-Ass. I do feel that it, it, it betrayed its premise uh, towards the end, but that being said, it was a wonderful movie. Well, and the sequel's in production right now, oh, and uh, yeah. Jim Carrey is cast in the sequel as a part. In pretty there. cool. So, yeah, so that'll be pretty neat. I haven't read... I've been trying to read the sequel comic, but, like, they only have it for sale in a hardcover that's, like, 30 bucks. So I'm waiting for it to go in uh, paperback. Not available as a digital download, sadly. But, uh, you know, it is available as a digital download from, like, Amazon and YouTube and stuff. Dogma by Kevin Smith. Dogma, dogma, dogma. Um, so I, I, I look at the film, I look at the title, Dogma. Do you think that's a weird title? I don't think this? it's a weird title. I mean, it, it's it's a good title for a film that, that, that takes as its source material uh, uh, Christianity, which in all of its forms does does have a, 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 a all sorts of different dogma and all the different streams of Christianity. But I mean they do explain that the whole the whole reason that the that the angel's plan is possible is because of uh of uh, Catholic dogma. 
that because of a pact that Jesus made with Peter, the first pope, uh, heaven would recognize dogmatic law. And as a result, because the church in New York is going to bring back uh, indulgences, which will let these angels who are cast out of heaven get back into heaven, thus undoing God's eternal decree that they would forever be cast out of heaven, it's going to cause the universe to end. Because those two mutually exclusive ideas would make God fallible, and as a result, the universe would collapse around him. Hey there, this is Jeremy Parrish, and if you're a fan of classic video game soundtracks, or if you just love 20-minute rock epics about war-ready armadillos that battle Catholicism, you should listen to Alexander's Ragtime Band. Join the power trio of myself, Elliot Long, and James Eldred each month as we talk about the most pretentious music of all, progressive rock, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Do you love The Legend of Zelda? Here at Chat of the Wild, a game club podcast, we have been using our lens of truth to do deep dives on your favorite action-adventure series to find out what makes this franchise so amazing. Join us right now as we sail through The Wind Waker or check out any of our past seasons. New episodes drop every Wednesday here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. You lost me there a little bit, but I'm sure it was uh, full of detail. My iPod Touch 4G just updated with iOS 6, so I was typing in my password to finish the installation. Are you, are you upgrading your system while we're doing this episode? Um, my iPod, yeah. <laughs> you know, at least, at my least when I touch. look at porn while we're doing this, I don't, uh, I, I make a point of not mentioning it, although I'm not looking at porn right now. But you have in the past, you just said. I, yeah, indeed, I may have. Okay. But again, cla- it's all about class and decorum. It's all about class and decorum at the sequel cast. So, shit demons. Um, Shit demons, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, whenever I see this film, I always think of the shit demon first off. I think even though it's a bit over two hours, it's uh, it never fails to be an interesting film. I even, uh, I think this was the first Kevin Smith movie I showed my mom, huh. and my mom was raised in a real Catholic family, but she thought it was really funny and silly, and she really liked all the Chris Rock jokes no, Chris about Rock uh, the, the Thirteenth Apostle being black. And, yeah, there's nothing like Chris Rock where he's doing a monologue uh, and he's just on a tear talking about stuff. And, uh, you know, there's something to be said where they say where it's like stand-up comedians, once they get married and have kids, they're less edgy. And that's not always the the truth. But, yeah, I don't know about Chris Rock. There was, there's, like, a lot of anger early on in his stand-up. And you get some of that still in Dogma. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case now. Well, no, it's... It's it's the it's the real classic Chris Rock attitude uh, after after he had left uh, Saturday Night Live and really started concentrating on his stand up again. That was that was a lot of his persona. Uh, I forget had his talk show started yet. He certainly had his HBO show at this time. Um, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, did that, he have a talk show? I don't no, remember that. Was, that that he, was it was a talk show, but they okay, did, yeah. He, he would do these extended sketches. A lot of them uh, uh-huh. uh, written by Louis C.K. Louis C.K. Right, who of course now is really well known for starring, writing, and directing in the FX uh, comedy series uh, Louis, which is great. I, I love that show, um, and it gets a lot of good reviews and wins a lot of awards. But and and Chris Rock, since you know Dogma, he's directed a few films. He's Obviously, really talented and st- and stuff himself, but he's also in movies like Grown Ups, which is like him and uh, Adam Sandler, which just looks like they got all these comedy stars together just to have a good time and goof off. Yeah, which, it's, while it's, funny isn't much of a movie. Well, it's it's all part of that Adam Sandler let's all dick around and get paid for it school of filmmaking, which I'm not <laughs> against. If you can find a way to get paid for dicking around, by all means, go for it. But. When the product is like that, I'm not necessarily going to see it. Right. Um, well, back to Dogma. You know, it does say something like, why is it harder to talk about a good film than a bad film? I don't know. I guess I guess because we're so used on going off on these kind of angry, what the fuck is all this uh, kind of tangents. Uh, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> you know, I, and I don't want to just, and I don't want, uh, like, I don't want to just sit here praising, you know, the film to no end. I think that would... I, I I I don't think uh, that would be a good use of our audience's time. No, I, I don't think so either. And I mean, oh, actually, no, well, you know frankly, what? no film is a perfect film. Actually, you know what scene I love? There's a bit where yeah. uh, you know Loki kind of gets back into d- delivering the Lord's vengeance uh, as the film goes on, and there's this 
scene where they where they go into a, a a corporate board meeting and they can sort of instinctively tell what the what people's sins are, mm, and they yeah. and they just kind of like go down like pointing out people in the boardroom and pointing out progressively worse and worse deeds they've done. And one they don't even say, just whispers in his ear and goes, and your own son. Just leaving you to right. wonder what the, the fuck that guy did. It's, uh... Yeah, I mean, when they lecture and point out all these people's flaws, you you start to almost be more on Loki's side and saying that he has a point, but he's still... And, and while this uh, shootout happens, a lot of it kind of off screen where you see blood splattering on the on the movie, the golden calf logo and so forth. <laughs> you see Ben Affleck as Bartleby kind of like shaking his head like, again, why does he always have to do the crazy violent stuff? And uh, just that dynamic between the two characters, I think, is is very effective. They, they do. They are like two people who have been together for for untold ages. I, well, I and Ben really Affleck not. and Matt Damon were friends in real life for years before, you know, uh, writing uh, Goodwill Hunting and starring in that film and, and so forth. And, I mean, I always think of Ben Affleck. Uh, uh, when I was in middle school, we watched an educational Canadian miniseries called Voyage of the Mimi, which right. starred Ben Affleck as a teenager about a group of uh, individuals that um, try to save the whales. And uh, a very conservationist uh, kind of, you know, like, let, let's save the planet uh, miniseries. And there's an infamous episode of Voyage of the Mimi where Ben Affleck's character, uh, there, there's an old man on the ship. And somehow they get stri- well, probably like in his 70s or 80s. And somehow he gets stuck in an island with Ben Affleck, who's like a teenage boy. And uh, he gets really cold. He's going to have hyperthermia. They think he's going to die. And to stay warm, uh, Ben Affleck takes off all his clothes and jumps in the sleeping bag, pressing against the old man to warm him up. Well, the thing is, that's, that is what you do. that standard survival training. Uh, just that it no, is, but you watch no that, that scene <laughs> with, like, sixth grade boys and stuff in a room. Everyone is just laughing their asses off. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> and there also, there also was a character in Voyage of the Mimi that was a deaf woman. Um, who they didn't subtitle her speech like they probably would now, but she was really deaf. She wasn't an actress pretending to be deaf, so you couldn't understand what she said. And she would say, like, oh, we saw a sperm whale, but she would say it in a way that, you know, like, we saw a sperm whale. And, And to middle school kids, that's hilarious. So I don't know. That's just my tangent on Ben Affleck and Voyage and the Mimi. But uh, back to uh, Dogma. Uh, I think uh, the end of the film, you know, you have some action. I-, I love the effect of the wings on the angels. I think looks really neat. It's a practical effect for the most part. Well, when, that was really difficult for them to get right. Well, I mean, when they're flying, it's it is it's CGI wings, but whenever it's like a medium shot or a close up, it's uh, some basic animatronic wings. But it works. It works pretty well. Uh, the the CGI still, for the most part, holds up. The although the the I love the 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 armor that they're wearing, which I'm because the implication is they've been wearing that armor under their street clothes the whole time, right? Yeah, yep. And I think it works. You know, it makes them appear more like warriors and more of the typical uh, heavenly look of uh, I don't know angels as soldiers of God and that sort of thing. It's uh, and even though it's nice that even though you got like uh, Jason Lee as Azrael. He, um, you don't have a character that's literally the devil telling them to do things, and I think that's nice. No, it is. It is. It is a good touch. Like you know, I, it, you know, I, I really don't see how 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 Satan profits from having a, an a, an unmade universe. But I buy that. Uh, I buy that Azrael would enjoy not existing anymore. And of course, you get God played by Linus Morissette. Yeah, of course. Well, that that all ties back into the beginning because there's been a running theme that nobody knows who that man was that was nearly beaten to death. So he's been in a coma and he's gone to the name John Doe Jersey. Well, it turns out that's actually God. Yep. And I think Alanis Morissette as God wasn't the song that she had. What if God was one of us? Wasn't that a hit at was the time? Was that hers? Uh, let me look that up. That was certainly a hit on the radio at the time. Well, radio hit. Well, I guess you know the um, 
the thing no, that's that... Joan Osborne. I'm sorry, oh, okay. but Alanis Morissette covered it. Did she? Yes, I don't know who did it originally. Because like I don't, I I don't generally like that song only because it sounds brilliant until you actually listen to the lyrics. It is such a, it's a very superficial musy kind of song. It's it's, I find it almost completely devoid of meaning. Uh, on the sequel cast, as we've been covering this U.S. Universe films, we talk about links to to other. F- films in the VSQ universe. I did not pick one up in Dogma this time around, other than Jan Silent Bob character, did you? Uh they they're the I guess yeah, they're they're the biggest and I would say only link aside from uh movie showing up in Clerks too. That's a good point. Which is a future reference, I guess. You know, I don't think at this time Kevin Smith even thought there'd be a Clerks too. Well, I don't think anybody did. But... No, no, no. Even even when it came out, people were like, "What? They're doing a sequel to Clerks? That's kind of strange." But so you have it. Uh, <laughs> so did you notice the cameos from the two lead actors from Clerks in the very beginning at the uh, scene with uh, George Carlin uh, promoting Buddy Christ, which is such a great graphic. It's an amazing and design. Image. And, yeah, and I've seen it. it it's on same, T-shirts. It's on bobbleheads. At the same time, it's like it's one I really, really like. Like I like that. I like that that image of of a of a very caring, very friendly, very approachable Christ. I think the thumbs up is a bit much, but other than that, it's it's a symbol. I I think it's it's a good symbol. Yeah, and he has a point in that they're trying to market Christianity, and make it seem less stuffy and tragic. Got, I don't know, like you know, like a better mascot to appeal to, to have a, a four quadrant appeal, and that whole monologue is brilliant. And that it comes from George Carlin makes it even funnier because George Carlin, you know, really got famous. I wouldn't say as like a foul mouth comic necessarily, but he certainly spoke his mind bluntly about a lot of issues. I, I love his, if you want to hear a great routine his his routine where he edit, where he condenses the entirety of the Ten Commandments into one commandment is brilliant. Which commandment is that? No, no, he 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 he, com- oh. he combines them. I see. Uh, and it's uh, it's just it's it's very good. <laughs> it's a great. It's a good routine. It's all about language and rules, and it got it's 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 it kind of touches on every uh, on almost every theme that that Carlin would always harken back to at his routines. Yeah, and, and there's also a cameo from uh, Jeff Anderson who played Randall in Clerks. It's a very short scene where he's a gun salesman that is uh, selling guns to Bartleby and Loki. So I love that, that kind of a bit fun... where they where is it, they start <laughs> Loki starts singing "Run DMC" when they get off the bus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and that that they're on a bus. It looks like a real bus because it has the real ugly. Um, I was going to say carpeting, but that's not right. But like the real ugly. Uh, patterns on the uh, on, yeah siding and patterns on the seats with like black and like random neon orange and green squares everywhere. No, it's it's a realistic. See on, on it's public a, it's buses. very realistic. It's that's yeah. one thing that, that that I think really benefits this movie is is crazy. Some of the characters can get the set the settings and the backdrops are all completely believable and completely real. Pretty neat. Uh, so I think we've done a good job talking, uh, staying on point uh, part of the time at least, talking about dogma on this episode of Sequel Cast. Uh, so I mean, is this a, a film you'd recommend? No, absolutely. It's 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 a wonderful movie, and I guess I I I guess it's it's the first Kevin Smith movie I saw. I find it a wonderful introduction to Kevin Smith, although I, mm. I have no idea if anyone else. Besides me, thinks that it may just be a quirk of, of how I saw the movie, but I, I, I think it's a wonderful film. It's still, and again, it still, it still is. Uh, even going back through all of his previous work, it is still my favorite Kevin Smith movie. Fascinating, yeah. I, I think Dogma is a film that kind of grows in me more with each viewing. I kind of notice something different and funny each time. It has a great cast, has a great script. Uh, even though the budget limits some of the the action scenes, you still get the idea of what they were trying to do, and uh, it, it's a very unique film. And um, at one point, Kevin Smith was mulling the idea of doing a sequel to Dogma, but th- that never happened. But How I can you... certainly see there being a sequel. 
Well, I mean, I guess there's still other there's still other celestial and demonic beings around that uh, that people could interact with. Oh, what did you think of the the use of the Fat Albert theme? Oh, jeez, I almost forgot that part. I love that bit. That's like it's a at a karaoke combat. sort of right at a bar. Well, they're they're at a Silent, st- Silent Bob sings it. Well, because right? well, the because Selma Hayek's muse character works at a strip club where she can inspire people to give up lots of money, and yes. there's like this this group of thugs there, which I got it's a pretty caricature portrayal of the thugs, but they but you know although it, one of the thugs is played by the the black guy from Chasing Amy. Oh, cool. But there, but it looks like there's. It looks like it looks like Jay and Silent Bob are just are going to get the shot up, get the the shit kicked out of them, and then uh, the muse gives them an idea, and you know, Silent Bob goes up to the turntables, and uh, Jay grabs a microphone, and they do this like hip hop version of the Fat Albert theme, which completely win- wins the the thugs over. I love Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. I thought that was a great show growing up. I I loved that callback. This was before callbacks to the '70s and '80s had been completely done to death. It's mm. it's one of the few kind of references, like it's a reference that actually matters. I like my my entire life, like you, I've learned that if you could figure out what cartoon someone likes and you know something about that cartoon, you can form an instant rapport with them. And I love that that happens in this movie. Yeah, it's a real fun uh, moment, and uh, in later Kevin Smith films, like in Clerks 2, they have full-blown musical sequences with choreography and everything, and uh, I, I never saw the live-action Fat Albert movie uh, starring, uh, what is it, Keenan uh, Williams? Keenan uh, Thompson from SNL. Keenan Thompson, I'm sorry. Okay. And uh, and I, I'm curious about that. I, I did see the cartoon as a kid, but not, not religiously. And I'd be very curious to see how it holds up because Bill Cosby did a lot of the voices uh, in the cartoon. No, I, I've I've seen it. I actually really really like it. It's true. It's mm. very true to the original source material. Uh, it does take the hackneyed premise of what if these cartoon characters were in the real world, but seriously, yeah. it's not just for a cheap gag or a lazy way to get these characters unanimated and played by real actors. Uh, it they actually seriously explore the issue of what would happen if hmm. fictional kids cartoon characters entered the real world and you know they it's they 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 cover a lot of the same ground and it's got it's got this beautiful melancholy ending i don't want to i really don't want to ruin it but i love i just love how melancholy the ending of the movie is you have to check that out that sounds interesting and uh, yeah, we'll do a commentary you know yeah, one writer uh, on that uh, animated series, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, was Paul Dini, who's better known uh, nowadays for, you know, writing and producing episodes of Batman the Animated Series and Justice League and Batman Beyond uh, from the 90s. He, so, really? He worked on, on Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids? Yeah, fresh out of college, because uh, oh. he knew someone that knew someone that was a producer on the show. Very so, cool. Uh, so that, that's all pretty neat. Um so we should move on to our first, uh, <laughs> uh, our trademark sequel cast segment. Trademark well, it's not us. trademarked. No, I shouldn't say that. Uh, it's called uh, Pitch a Sequel, in which we uh, normally we pretend that a sequel was never made, but whatever. We're going to pitch a sequel to Dogma. I, I will start. I will call it, uh, it'll be about Jane and Silent Bob come back, and they're more of the stars because Jane and Silent Bob are... Kind of the main, they're the, the Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck of the Kevin Smith universe. <laughs> really, I would. Th- if you they're will. more. I find them to be more the Sylvester the Cat and Porky Pig of this universe. Nope, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, huh. and uh, you would have somehow they accidentally because of like a drug overdose, they end up in heaven, and God makes them angels, <laughs> and send them sends them down to do His work, and it's called uh, Dogma. Um, it's called Jay and Silent Dogma is the title hmm. so that's my lame ass premise for a Dogma sequel Thrasher what's yours okay my my sequel would be okay so here's the deal 
a whole bunch of supernatural and, and, and holy and demonic stuff happens in this movie, and it could not have gone unnoticed. And in fact, there are there are people who saw the manifestation of the shit demon. There are people who saw the the angel slaughtering people in front of the church in New York. Uh, so as as a, as a result, uh, a a new church has been founded based on all the crazy biblical stuff that happened in Dogma. And Jay and Silent Bob being the two prophets, they have become the reluctant prophets of this new religion. They're constantly being followed around by converts. People are always asking them for for answers. And and Silent Bob does a pretty decent part of does a pretty decent job being a prophet. He's uh, he's kind of half Buddha, half Graham Chapman from. Uh, Life of Brian, where even his silences, people read into it. Jay loves it, of course, because he uses it to get women uh, and money and fame, and it leads into the whole issue of, you know, is it right to profit from religion? Because Jay certainly tries to profit from their their status as prophets. It's it's he's about the fame, the money, and the lay days, uh, and it kind of builds and builds and builds until, like so many uh, so many uh, holy people, they need to be martyred. And so assassins are dispatched to make sure that they are martyred. They are they are martyred and be- can become proper, proper legendary holy men before they actually before they end up saying something that brings down like that, that, that like you know c- completely changes the world because that's dangerous. And in fact, the assassins are dispatched by an alliance of all the world's major religions. So and, and what we'll would call you... it dog on it? Dog on it. Okay, I was going to say the profiting prophets. But, <laughs> That's almost like a Three Stooges uh, title. Very much, very much so. Pretty cool. Uh, so now we're going to move on to what you're watching. Our segment where we talk about a piece of media. We have, you know, whether it's a book or a video game or movie that we've uh, experienced in the past week. Uh, I'll, I'll begin. I, uh, with my wife, we've been, uh, you know, we recently uh, cut off our cable All to right. save money. So we have we have the internet still, and uh, because it's in Portland, Oregon, in Multnomah County, uh, where we are, we have to do Comcast pretty much. They won't let us put a satellite in uh, the house that we live in part of. So uh, because of that, uh, we uh, you know been watching more Netflix, watch instantly, or Hulu Plus, which are both things that we subscribe to, and uh, we've been watching a bit. Uh, we're about halfway through. The BBC miniseries based on the Terry Pratchett novel, The Color of Magic. Ah. And I tried watching this uh, when it came out, you know, like in 2008, and I didn't like it at the time, and now I've kind of warmed up to it. The special effects are like BBC terrible in places. (laughs) uh, But, you know, Tim Curry as the villain, uh, I believe called Trivon. Yes. Is that right? It's fantastic. It's the meatiest part he's been given in ages. He pronounces everything in the weird way only Tim Curry can. Uh, although I found Shine, uh, Sean Austin, I can't speak, Sean Astin is very obnoxious in the lead. Who's meant to be like a dorky, annoying tourist, and he's effective. But he's so annoying, I just find it difficult to... Uh, to take some time. Well, speaking, speaking as a, a long-time uh, Terry Pratchett fan... I've been reading his work since uh, 19... Well, there's like, what, like, there's 30 of the novels, right? There's many, many Discworld novels, but that's not all he wrote. He also wrote uh, the Bromeliad trilogy, which is mind-blowing. Uh, that's The Bromeliad trilogy is one of those kind of special books that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to my children when they're maybe like six or so, but then I'm going to give them their own copy when they're ready to go off to college because it's that kind of book. It's it's one of the few books that is legitimately about everything uh, and is so beautiful. It's it's hard for me to get... Like, it really touches me. Um, he also wrote uh, Johnny and the Dead... Uh, he, he's written he's written a lot. Just Discworld is where he's been most uh, prolific. But speaking to somebody who's who's read a lot of his work and has been reading for some time, the color of magic is definitely not where to start. Either in the either the novel or the uh, the novel wasn't or, the novel the first book he wrote in the series. Yeah, the first two were sort of two linked novels: uh, the color of magic and the light. Fantastic. Most of what's in the color of magic is actually the plot is actually taken from the light. Fantastic. It's it's not that they're bad. It's just that they're they're almost nothing like the later Discworld books. They're not as deep. They're not quite as rich. 
um, they're they're basically just loose parodies of sword and sorcery. Uh, it's it's kind of I find it's better to go and read those later after you've already invested in Discworld and after you know a bit about sword and sorcery because there's a lot more outright parody in there if you don't know Fritz Lieber and Gary Gygax and Robert E. Howard and whatnot. I really don't know what you think of it because there, there's well, like, there's think? like specific very yeah. specific things in those books that are out, that are specific references to like very particular books that I, I don't know how, to, how many modern people have read. But what do you think of that miniseries they did on the BBC it's, that I've been watching? It's enjoyable, but it's, but the ho- uh, Hogfather and Color of Magic are, I think, the, the two better Discworld miniseries. I would definitely Well, Color of Magic is what I was talking about. It's it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, like I think... But, but you were saying Hogfather and Color of Magic were better. Uh, no, Hogfather you mean going, and Soul going Postal? Soul Music. Or... Uh, Soul music. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Yeah, Soul Music was animated. Uh, Hogfather was live action, done in the same style as Color of Magic. Um, Weird Sisters is pretty good, if only for the de- the demon scene makes it. Um, I mm. have not seen Going Postal yet, but I really want to. I love the book. Yeah. As far as what I've been uh, what I've been reading, um, I've been reading through the past couple of years. Uh, Dark Horse has been reprinting all the Conan stories from the old Savage Sword of Conan comics magazine uh, from the 70s and 80s, and I've been going through those volumes as I can acquire them. And I, uh, uh, last month I started reading volume 11, and as much as I love these comics, as much as I love the character, this is when the comic started to lose its mind. <laughs> so, like, what year was that when they were originally published? Um, it, was, it was from the, the mid-70s all through, I think, the mid-80s. This, this particular volume, let me see. This particular volume covers uh, 1985 up to... Ah, here we go. Uh, 1985 up to 1986. Hmm. And it's it's at this point the stories become very, very uneven. The The art is starting to suffer, but the writing... Is has really, really starting to suffer. There's a story. There's a story called the Quest for the Shrine of Luma. He never yeah. goes on a quest for the Shrine of Luma. <laughs> it's all about Conan and these other mercenaries competing in trials to see who will be given the quest to go for the Shrine of Luma. And these trials are so ridiculous. And the the, the fact that the survivors are getting paid to do these trials, it's like, why don't they just put a bounty on whatever this fucking thing is they need out of the shrine? Why are they going through this whole rigmarole? I want to see Conan go on a goddamn quest, not compete in minor sporting events with jackasses for 30 yeah, plus when- pages. When I was a kid, my dad bought me a Conan the Barbarian comic. It must have been an 87 or 88 or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think you've gotten to that point in the uh, reprints. Well, there, remember, there, was, there was the com- Savage Sword of Conan is different from the Conan comics. You know, I don't recall which one it was, but the plot was it was very simple. It was about Conan the Barbarian was in the cave with, with a guy that was bald that kind of looked like the Watcher from the Marvel comics as kind of his guide. Mm-hmm. And there was all these creepy bugs in the cave. And that's all the comic was. It was just them going through a scary cave. But I thought the artwork was good. And I can't remember what that was uh, what the title of that one was. But that's always stuck with me, even, you know, twenty five years later. Yeah. But but I mean definitely I mean these are generally speaking, these are great comics. It's just that as you as you get as you get later on, sadly, they they do start to suffer, which is a real shame. I mean the the, the uh Conan Conan and Robert E. Howard's stories translate so beautifully to the medium of comic books. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh... Oh, he did so many things besides Conan, too. Oh, yeah, Solomon uh, Kane. Solomon Kane, which... The movie's been out in uh, Europe for a while, but it's making its U.S. premiere pretty soon, or is it already out on video? It's available on streaming. I want to say it's going to have some sort of theatrical release. That that being said, it does have almost nothing to do with the source material. Oh, okay. Well, I thought it got good reviews, but I, I haven't seen it. So, okay. Well, we've talked about a lot of different things on this. Uh, what you're watching and pitch a sequel, and on this episode of the sequel cast on uh, Dogma. So uh, be sure to tune in next week on the sequel cast where we continue our look at Viewers Universe with uh, a look at Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Da 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 dum. A, uh, you know, certainly Kevin Smith's 
uh, hand job of a film to his fans. I'll just say that much. It's <laughs> if you want Kevin Smith being at his Kevin craziest. Smith-iest. If you like all the crazy silent Bob antics in Mallrats, you'll love uh, James Hell Bob Strikes Back. So we'll talk about that next week, and be sure to go to SequelCast.com or look us up on iTunes or go to SequelCast.com or go to Facebook.com slash SequelCast to uh, listen to SequelCast or our other two shows, uh, Sequel Commentary, in which we do audio commentaries on movies that may or may not be sequels, and SequelCast Special. In, uh, in the SequelCast Special, we just kind of talk about film topics at large that usually deal with sequels or remakes of some sort or genre material. Um, so for the sequel cast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Same. Do I know him? Motherfucker owes me five bucks. Did he say motherfucker in the movie? I think he said another word. I don't remember. I thought he said the N-word. Uh, he may have. Uh, Do you want to say it? No. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I okay. thought I had you. I thought I had you. Yeah. I, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> It's tempted, but okay. Uh, <laughs> good good night. night, audience, and good luck. <laughs>